Today is our penultimate in our series in James, and so I'd love for you to have your Bibles open in whatever language is helpful for you. So James chapter 5, we are looking from today. It is a complete coincidence of ours, but perhaps not of God's, that today we celebrate Father's Day and we also come to the topic of patience. Uh, There's an outline on the back of the news with translation points there in Korean and Dinka and English, so please use that if that's helpful, but right now, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for that future which we anticipate with perfect certainty because of you, of your people, every tribe, language and nation gather around your throne. Lord, we pray this day, please teach us that you indeed are the God of patience, that we might practice patience in every aspect of our lives, particularly as we trust in you and love one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As James writes to communities who are undergoing significant trouble, he assures them that even amidst the trials, even through those trials, God is working out his purposes. James, of course, set the agenda for that right back in chapter 1, verse 2, you might remember. Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James wants these communities to know, even amidst their many trials, that God is indeed working out his purposes in the world and in you. James is not indifferent to the suffering and the problems that these Christians face. God is not indifferent to the suffering and the problems that you face. We see one of those problems addressed by James at the very beginning of this chapter as he issues a warning to rich oppressors. Rich oppressors who are passively doing harm by hoarding wealth and indulgently using it exclusively for themselves, but also who are actively doing harm by using their financial power to oppress, to push down and oppress those who had less, whilst maximising their own position, even cheating people out of their wages. James has issued a warning to those people. He's put them on notice, you will be judged. But what about the oppressed? How about the victims of the oppressors? How should they respond? Should they rob the rich, lash out? Should they take action? Should they overthrow these oppressors? Verse 7. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. The response to the trial they face is patience and, as we'll see next week, it's twofold, prayer, patience and prayer. If you're ever frustrated with something or someone not moving at the pace that you really would desire, uh, you know that being told to be patient is probably the very last thing you want to hear. It it runs off my lips all the time for the kids, but I really don't like hearing it either. Uh, But James must mean it, however as he repeats it four times in three different ways. He says, be patient as the farmer patiently waits, be patient 
and he implies, set an example of patience. The problem, of course, is that we can't just instantly download patience with one click. We have to practice patience in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the really good news, tremendous news for us today, is that our lives, each of our lives, are basically one big patience-growing opportunity. I remember my very first year of university, I was up really late one night finishing a big assignment, and my computer was running painfully slow. You may have had this experience, I would type one letter or one word and then have to wait a few seconds for that word to appear on the screen. Uh, it didn't get better, I couldn't do anything to fix it, it had gone on for hours, the clock was ticking, the deadline was looming, and finally, I had had enough. I slammed my hand down on the keyboard out of frustration, only to watch half of the keys fly up into the air, some sort of alphabet whirlwind, and then have to spend the next hour carefully, delicately, meticulously, patiently reassembling that keyboard because it was the only one that I had. But if I'm honest with you, that is one of the less embarrassing stories of my impatience. We live in a hurried world that claims that we're captains of the clock. And when things don't go our way, or at the speed that we want, it's so easy for that frustration to spill up and out, being directed towards others, maybe even directed towards God, wondering why is he, why are they not on my agenda? So there can be particular uh, situations, running late, stressed, in traffic. Someone asked me after the 7.30, but surely a traffic jam is an exclusion to this. But, you know, there are many uh, situations when, when things aren't just going the way that we want or when someone or something is seemingly standing between us and what we're trying to achieve. Particular situations. But there can also be seasons. For some people, seasons that last a whole lifetime in which we are so eager for longings fulfilled, hardships resolved, questions answered. So what are the options? Well, we can rush ahead. We can pour out our frustration destructively. Well, James says... We can wait patiently and be an example of patience in the big and the small. So how can we patiently wait and be an example of patience? Because we have a future hope, a present purpose, and a continuous comfort. So first, we have a future hope because the Lord is coming. Verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. The letter of James, of course, is full of commands. However, they're not like a bad boss shouting orders. This is a loving instruction to his brothers and sisters. He's saying, be patient. But I want you to know that he's not asking to be patient forever. He says, be patient until... Be patient until the Lord's coming. 
And so there's a limit to our patience. The limit to our patience is not some sort of arbitrary point, you know, when you say I'm running out of patience, but the limit of our patience is the Lord's coming. It's a reference, of course, to when Jesus will return to judge the world. Remember, James has just made a case for these people not to take the role of judge, because when they do that, not are they exercising authority that they don't have, but they're also assuming the type of authority that only Jesus holds. He's the judge, not us, and he is coming soon. The Lord's coming has the connotation not only of the arrival of an emperor or a king, but that his appearance is imminent. It's just around the corner. That doesn't necessarily mean today or tomorrow, but it could. But in the whole timeline of salvation history, we're right at the tail end. And so note James's emphasis and underlying of that point. It says, verse 8, the Lord's coming is near. Or then in verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. So this is both reassuring and motivating news that James wants us to have right at the forefront of our minds. That we can wait patiently, not because of a cross-your-fingers type of hope that things will be okay, but with the certain hope that the true judge is returning and he is returning soon. And when he arrives, not only will all the injustices of our world be put to right, but every good longing will be fulfilled, every difficulty will be overturned, every uncertainty will be resolved, everything broken will be made new, everything evil will be no more. Here, James, brothers and sisters, be patient, because not only is that day coming, but it is coming soon. Such wonderfully reassuring news. But it's also incredibly challenging. It's challenging because it means that when we're being impatient, regardless of the situation or the season, be it how we respond or the shortcuts that we take, our impatience can reflect a big attention going on between us and God. In Gulliver's Travels, my very most favourite scene in Gulliver's Travel is when he first comes across the Lilliputians. The Lilliputians are a people who are one-twelfth the size of, of Gulliver. And when they meet, the Lilliputians are quite surprised that as Gulliver keeps looking at his watch, it's his watch that seems to be capturing his attention and governing his actions, they assume that his watch must be his god. What, what does our patience or lack of patience say about who is our ultimate authority? If we think God is late, not only may it reflect a, a distrusting of God's character and plans, but it could be also because we've elevated, we trust, in our plan as king. When we're faced with impatience, I think we're really left with two options. We can adjust our expectations to line up with God's or we can expect God to get his timeline in line with ours. I think it's why the Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar suggested that impatience is actually the root of all sin 
for it's a failure to recognise that God intended us to have all good, but in God's time. We see that in the garden, the first garden. Not trusting in God's plans or his goodness, Adam and Eve rushed ahead, take a shortcut, eat the fruit. What does James say? See how the farmer waits. In the Mediterranean basin, so where James was knocking about, um, there were two standard climactic rains in which they depended. And as a result, there were two main harvesting times every year. And they couldn't do anything to speed that up. That, of course, doesn't mean that there weren't things to do to tend the health of the crop, but there was nothing they could do to accelerate the harvest time. So here what James is saying. We're empowered to wait because we're guaranteed our future hope of that to come. When we're impatient, it's ultimately because some part of us doesn't really believe that day is coming. We don't trust in God's timing, so we want to fast forward. We want it now. James says, there is nothing we can do to speed it up. You can speed up Jesus' return as much as a pedestal fan set on high will speed up the rotation of the earth. That's pretty frustrating though, isn't it? Because we live in a world in which we're told that not only can we, can we have whatever we want whenever we want it, but that actually it's good for us to have whatever we want whenever we want it, to have it now. When uh, Patrice and I lived in the UK and we'd go to the supermarket and bring all the groceries home, it was always a bit of a game to guess where things had come from. Things came from all sorts of surprising places. And for, for some reason, the one ingredient that really sticks out in my mind is that the basil, the basil always came from Israel. I have no idea, but it's always a bit, a bit of a puzzle. Where would these things come from? And that's the thing. We can eat any vegetable or fruit at any point time of the year. We've gone from next day deliveries being impressive to now same day deliveries being expected. We've gone from movies being something you would physically, you know, have to go to, uh, to now having instant downloads whenever or wherever we are. And of course, it's not necessarily that all of these things are bad, but it is no wonder that we think that time is something that we can contort to our own agenda. Impatience is us clutching for control or, or railing against God, God's control. But practising patience is tuning our hearts to the future we look forward to. Second, we have a present purpose, stand firm, verse 8. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Standing firm means strengthening our hearts, so trusting God is bringing about his, his purposes, that, that we will be resolute, single-minded in being the people who God is calling us to be. So we have a present purpose. Standing firm doesn't mean inactivity at all. Uh, I love in the book of Acts, when the disciples have just witnessed Jesus' ascension to heaven and they are left standing there just staring into the sky, that when the two angels appear, that they say to them, why do you stand here looking into the sky? He'll come back in the same way. 
whenever I hear that, it's kind of like them saying, don't just stand there, get on with it while you wait. Just because the farmer must patiently wait for the rains in time of harvest, it doesn't mean that there isn't plenty of work to do that will contribute to the health of the harvest. There's enough farmers or retired farmers here at St Bart's for me to know that, that even though they must express an amazing patience from season to season and year to year, there is still plenty of weeding, hoeing and fertilising that goes on in between. And a farmer does all of that, actually, without any guarantee of a harvest. But every follower of Jesus can know with certainty that the harvest is coming. So how do we stand firm? No doubt it means holding fast to the Lord and not falling into sin. You can imagine the people here who are being oppressed, that they could be tempted to, to rob the rich or to be violent towards those who are oppressing them. Obviously, that would not be standing firm. But interestingly, three of the key ways that James points to standing firm is through our speech. That we'd tell of the Lord, even in the face of persecution, just as the prophets did. That's what James points to in verse 10. The prophets pointed back to God. They spoke out against injustice. They told people to get their the house in order. Also that we'd speak truthfully. And so James says in verse 12, don't swear by heaven or by earth. Just use yes and no. What he's referring to here is, is not the same thing as we have in our culture or in a court here where we might swear to tell the truth, but he's referring to an elaborate system of oaths at the time in which people could utilise different uh, oaths to, to really communicate different levels of truth. Some were binding, some were not. And said, so use the one that was convenient to you. Those with limited resources may have been tempted to use different types of oaths that were less binding in order to get money from creditors sooner. James is saying, don't compromise your proclamation or your integrity. And the third way we use our speech to stand firm, the main way in focus here, is not to grumble. Verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. The word for uh, grumble doesn't just mean whining, but don't whine either. That's not a good thing. Uh, but it's emotionally loaded. This is quarrelling. Uh, it's really heated. So you can imagine how under pressure, they're being persecuted, they're, they're frustrated perhaps at, at God's speed or a seeming lack of speed, that, that all sorts of relational tension and, and conflict could be breaking out amongst God's people. You know, so often the main way we express impatience is with our voice. I know at home, I know at home personally, when I feel the kids are going too slow and they're getting between uh, me and, you know, something that I need really critically to do, my impatience can spill out in all sorts of unhelpful verbal ways. It seems the communities to whom James wrote that there was plenty of grumbling going on. When things aren't going as we hoped or planned or according to our timelines, when the lie that we're captains of the clock runs up against reality, we can be quick to blame the other and are reluctant to show grace. 
See, see, the real test of patience isn't when it's convenient, but when it's inconvenient. When I'm tired, stressed, and running late. If someone seems to be getting in our way, or they seem to have their longings fulfilled, or hardships resolved, or questions answered, we can so easily resent them or be jealous of them and then express that in a really destructive way. Hear what James is saying. Part of how you stand firm as you wait is to maintain the strength of the relationship amongst the body. If you don't, not only will it undermine the gospel work that you need to do together, but your words about each other will discredit your gospel witness. Don't grumble. Finally, we have a continuous comfort. We have a continuous comfort in the Lord's compassion and mercy. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There are so many people I know in this community who are currently facing all sorts of trials. Some of them have faced those trials for the entirety of their life. And whilst I know I have every confidence that our future hope is secure. It's not always obvious to me, and I suspect anyone else, why God isn't acting now. The prophets endured all sorts of terrible difficulty and suffering. They were asked to do all sorts of costly things. Some saw the fruit of their perseverance. Others did not. Yet James says, take them as an example. Job, of course, is one of the most well-known examples of persevering through suffering. Job lost everything. His family, his wealth, his health. He cried out to God. But even when everything was taken away, Job never gave up. He never cursed God. He never denied God. Why did he have some sort of superpower resolve or strength that we could only dream of? No. It's because he had a clarity of conviction of who God is. Despite his circumstances, Job trusted in God's compassion and mercy. Can you see what that means? It means that our present sufferings are not a sign of God's disfavour. It means that our present suffering, our present security, doesn't determine our final destiny. But even in a greater way than Job was vindicated and restored, we can be sure that when we trust in Jesus, that God will restore us and bring us home too. Not because of our goodness, but because of God's compassion and mercy.
compassion and mercy which can provide for us a continuous comfort. Compassion and mercy which have been poured out through his son. We can be patient and patiently wait because we can know the Lord who has patiently waited for us. Who just at the right time, while we were still powerless, sent Jesus to die for us. Jesus who patiently grew up entering his earthly father's trade. Jesus who patiently waited 30 years before being launched into ministry. Jesus who then was not given a platform but 30 days in the wilderness. He went every time tempted, it was an opportunity to shortcut God's plans. For his hunger to be satisfied now, for his rule to begin now, for God to raise him up now. But Jesus, for our sake, would not swap God's long-term will for his short-term gain. But Jesus, for our sake, patiently led a bunch of disciples for three years who were often slow to get it and made mistakes and even abandoned him in trouble. And when they fell asleep in the garden of tears, Jesus did not grumble, but patiently prayed to the Father, trusting in the Father's will and in the Father's plans, even when it meant laying down his life. How can we be patient? How can we be examples of patience? Because the God who is worthy of our trust is patient. That's the God who we can know today. We can be patient because we can know the one who has been patient with us. The one who has given us a future hope, a present purpose, and continuous comfort. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much that you are the God of patience. We thank you that in your great compassion and mercy that you have been patient for us. We thank you that just at the right time you sent your Son, Lord, whilst we were still powerless, that he would die for us and save us. Lord, we thank you that as you call us to be a people characterised by patience on all of our front lines, that, that we do so and we can do so with an absolute certainty of the future hope which is coming. Lord, please help us to have such a clarity of conviction about the future hope that we await and the compassion and mercy of who you are that we might stand firm. Lord, particularly, please help us on our front lines to stand firm that our words might point to you and demonstrate the hope that we have. And Lord, today, I particularly pray for those times and situations in which our patience is really tested. Lord, please help us to have a clarity of conviction to the hope that we point. And Lord, we also particularly pray for those who've had seasons or lifetimes of longings that have been unfulfilled, of questions that are unanswered, of hardship unresolved. Lord, would you please show your compassion and mercy to them. May they revel 
in your compassion and mercy day by day. And may we be tender with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.